0: And this past Sunday, I hope that you were able to watch on Fox 6, Hope is Alive, and uh, what amazing presentation that it was, and we've been getting some really incredible responses from it. Uh, one thing I did want to pass on to you is that uh, it turned out that from the ratings and numbers that there were close to 40,000 people that watched that presentation, and you put it in perspective, uh, we do a Christmas by Candlelight uh, program, and we would have done it um, uh, two, Uh, We probably have about 2,000 people here at each one. That'd be about 4,000 people. But because of this, we were able to take that to a whole new level and have 40,000 people. And just another thing that was kind of cool is that when you looked at two of the major networks, their ratings for all their shows that Sunday from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock, what we drew at 5 o'clock was larger than any of the other shows had in their national (laughs) program. So um, it uh, it was well done. And uh, our people have um, uh, have responded in a great way. So uh, for some people who said, man, I feel like I missed out. Hey, there's more for you. Uh, if you go to uh, our website, we have our, we have a Shades Mountain YouTube, and you can watch it. And it'll be playing, I believe, tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, and then and when we get to the first of this next week, it'll be on our website. in just to Shades.org, you can go there, and you can watch it anytime. And so watch it again. I've watched it a couple of times, you know. And um, it's perfect as you get closer to Christmas and bring family in and say, hey, I, wanna, I want us to worship together and watch this. So just take advantage of that. Uh, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter two, Luke chapter two, and we're going to start in verse eight. Um, we have talked about this being in being the year 2020, that there are different words to describe uh, what people have experienced. And one of the words is uncertainty. We just finished a four-week sermon series talking about hope in times of uncertainty. And when you think about uncertainty, part of that uncertainty is that when someone tells you something that's going to happen, the odds are pretty strong it's not going to happen. If someone tells you, hey, I want to get on your calendar, I want to get on your schedule and sit down and meet with you face-to-face, there's probably about a 50-50 chance that uh, you're going to get a text uh, from and say, hey, I'm not going to be able uh, to do this. You have something planned for family and friends to get together. And then you get that, that, that dreaded text that says, you know, I've got to be in quarantine. And every one of us is just one contact trace away from being in quarantine and being locked up in our houses for 10 to 14 days. And all those things that we told people we were going to do, we are not able to do. And all the things that people told you and said, hey, this is what's going to happen. And it, and it didn't. It gets kind of frustrating. Well. If you're kind of frustrating and you're wanting something that turned out exactly the way you were told, the Christmas story should scratch that itch, okay? Because we're going to talk to you today and take a little bit different look at the Christmas story and look at the narrative and zero in on the fact that it turned out exactly the way that we were told. Now, I'm going to read this morning out of the message. And so it's a paraphrase of the New Testament and of this particular passage. And so if you can, just follow with me as we take a look at Luke chapter two, starting eighth verse. He says, and there were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood, and they had set night watches over their sheep. And suddenly God's angel stood among them and God's glory blazed around them. And they were terrified. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A savior has just been born in David's town. A savior who is Messiah and master. This is what you're to look for. A baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. And at once the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. And as the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the sheepherders talked it over. Let's get over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. And they left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. And they told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. And all who heard the sheepherders were impressed. Mary kept all these things to herself holding them dear and deep within herself. The sheepherders returned and let loose, glorifying, praising God for everything that they had heard and seen. It turned out exactly the way they'd been told. It turned out exactly the way they had been told. What did the angels tell them? Hey, go to Bethlehem, the city of David. Then they said, what you'll do is you will see a baby. It'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes or wrapped in a blanket. It will be in a manger, which is a feeding trough, okay? Sometimes we make these beautiful bassinets or so. No, it was just a feeding trough that the animals would eat out of, and that's where the baby was. And then they said, this baby is a savior. He is Christ the Lord. Now, what they do? They went to Bethlehem. Just like the angel said, what did they find? A child, just like the angel said. It was wrapped up in swaddling clothes, just like the angel said. It was in a trough, a feeding trough, just like the angel said. And they said that it was a savior, Christ the Lord, just like the angel said. You say, well, how, how do you think they realize that? Because it says that they went away glorifying and praising God. Now I want to ask you, I mean, my first thought is a bunch of crusty shepherds seeing a little baby, they usually don't go that crazy, Okay. Uh, Listen, I've visited a lot of hospitals with a lot of people that just kind of visit, look at babies, and every baby they see, they don't go, oh, this is incredible. A bunch of crusty shepherds, you know why they went away and they were blown away? Because they understood this was the Savior. This was the the Christ. This was the anointed one. And so it turned out exactly the way they had been told. Now, think about this. In 1874, Winston Churchill was born in England, and it was Woodstock, Oxfordshire, England. It was a small town of about twelve hundred people, and so there, in 1874, was his birthday. Just say perhaps that uh, in at 1100 A.D., Anselm, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, who was there in England, let's say that he wrote that a leader would be born in Wilford, Oxfordshire, England, Woodstock, Oxfordshire, England, and that he would be born seven hundred years later, and that he would come to power in England, and he would save them from a great world war. And then seven hundred years later, Winston Churchill is born. He rises to the position there in England, and he is the leader of that saves them from a world war, exactly like Anselm had said 700 years earlier. Now, that would have been incredible. It didn't happen, just wanna let you know, so don't start Googling that. It didn't happen, but if it did, you would say, that's unbelievable. Well, listen, I gotta tell you, you open up God's word, there was a prophet by the name of Micah. 700 years before Jesus was born, this is what Micah wrote. In Micah 5.2, he says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. About a thousand people living in Bethlehem. He says, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. He says, there's going to be a Messiah that's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. You say, well, how do you know that people interpret it like that? Well, If you went to Matthew chapter two, uh, when the wise men are coming to look for Jesus and they go to the king, uh, the Roman ruler at that time, and when they go to the Roman ruler at that time, uh, they tell their story. He calls in the guys who are the Old Testament um, uh, uh, knowledge guys. They're the experts in the Old Testament. And they looked at him and they said, hey, listen, you know, Micah said that this Messiah would be born, this king would be born in Bethlehem. So that's how they interpreted it, all right? So the Messiah, the Son of God, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So what ended up happening? Look what it says in Luke chapter two. In Luke chapter two, verses four through seven, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, and while they were there, In Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Just like he said, 700 years before. All right, 700 BC, another prophet by the name of Isaiah. Look what he says. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. This is 700 years before Christ is born. So what does Matthew 1 say? Matthew 1 says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin. And she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It turned out, Exactly the way we were told 700 years earlier. Okay, so you look at that and you say, "Wow, that's amazing." 700 years ago, they said the child will be born in Bethlehem. 700 years ago, they said child will be born by a virgin. It gets even better than that. Okay, 2100 years. Stay with me. 2100 years before that. The first book of the Bible, there's an account of God calling a man named Abraham. And this is where we begin to start the genealogy of Jesus. Abraham, back in Genesis 12, this is what, uh, what the Bible says. God says, I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Circle this word, all, all the families. He didn't say some of the families, most of the families, just a few chosen families. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And the only way all families can be blessed in case there's a savior that would come that would provide salvation for all people. So he tells Abraham, you're going to be the father of this great nation. Okay. Well, Abraham has a grandson by the name of Jacob. Jacob has 12 kids. And before he dies, he talks to each one of his children. And one of them is Judah. And so when he talks to Judah, look what he tells Judah over here. He tells him in Genesis 49:10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Hey, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. That means there will be a lineage through you. There will be a priestly king that will come through you. And it's through your lineage, Judah. It'll be your tribe in which this will come. All right, so what have we got? We got Abraham, we got Judah. Well, then 600 B.C., Jeremiah talks about David, okay? So look what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 23:5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. There's only one who is righteous and that is God himself. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. David will be a part of of the lineage. So look what he says. This is what the Bible's saying genealogy wise. He's got, you start out with Abraham and then you get Abraham, then you've got Judah and David and you've got Jesus. Starting at 2100 BC, then 1859 BC, 600 BC, all the way down to Jesus. Really, is that really what happened? Matthew chapter one, look at Matthew one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Just pick some of the verses. One, two, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Goes down here. And Judah, the father of Perez. And David, the father of Solomon. And it goes all the way down until you get to when Jesus was born. The genealogy. Unbelievable. It turned out exactly the way they said that it would. He would be descended from Abraham, from Judah, and from David. And he would be born as Jesus. Jesus. Unbelievable. Born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. It turned out exactly the way they told us. Now, can you, can you grab that? Can you get your arms around something uh, as, as, uh, as amazing as that? Well, let's just put it in this perspective. Our church was founded in 1911 and in 1911, uh, it was founded and was named White Chapel Baptist Church. In 1911, that same year, 1911, there was a man by the name of Elijah Miller Isbell. He was 71 years old and he lived in Sand Mountain, which is up near Gunnersville. He had a son, Wesley Sherman, who was 46 years of age. And let's say that he calls him in to sit down with him and says, "I think." I know, excuse me, that I've got a word from the Lord. I've got a prophetic word from the Lord. Wesley Sherman is, well, you have a son who is W.J., and W.J. just got married last year. That was 1910. This is what the Lord has told me, is that W.J. will take his wife and will leave Alabama and move to North Carolina. When they move to North Carolina, they will have a number of children, but one of those children will be a daughter, And that daughter will one day be married to another man and as they do their travels, they will find themselves planted in Birmingham for a while. And while they're in Birmingham, they will have a child and his name will be Charles McDaniel Wood Jr. and they shall call him Danny, okay? And one day, he will be the pastor of that church in South Birmingham that just started this year. He will be my great, great grandson. 1996, fast forward, 85 years later, Charles Carter announces he's getting ready to retire and he puts together a transition and they bring in uh, a search team and they go and they begin to look for who the next pastor will be. And somebody brings them a document that was written down, a prophetic word from Elijah Miller Isbell and they read this document And when they read this document, it says that one day the pastor of this church will be Charles McDaniel Wood Jr. who shall be called Danny. Do you think that I would go to the top of the list when people are looking for pastors? Yeah. And on March 2nd, 1997, when the church called me, it was my first Sunday to be pastor. Do you think that would make big news? Do you even think that could make national news? Would that be incredible? 86 years before that, a great-great-grandfather had predicted from the word of the Lord that I would be the pastor here. That would be amazing. That's not true. I just wanna let you know that. So if you're watching this, don't take a snippet out of there and say, that's the most incredible story I've ever heard on there. And I laugh because preachers will probably grab this in five years from now. Somebody uses a true illustration. Let me tell you what happened to Shade's mouth. Listen, you would sit there and be honest with me. If that was really true, would that blow you away? That would be incredible. But yet somehow, when God's word, 600 years before, 700 years before, predicts exactly what's going to happen, we just sort of poo-poo it. And we just flip through the page, oh, okay, on that. That's incredible. It could only be done by God that something like that could happen. It happened exactly the way we were told. You say, well, what are the odds that something like that could happen? Well, if you go through scripture, there are a lot of um, uh, prophecies that in the Old Testament prophesy about Jesus' birth, about his arrest, and about his death. And Josh McDowell and some others put some numbers to it and they took eight prophecies about Jesus' birth, arrest, and death and they put those prophecies together and they did calculations as to what would be the odds or the chances That all eight of those prophecies, eight, all eight out of the 61 could possibly come true. And this is what they came up with. It would be 10 to the 17th power. What that means is you got one plus 17 zeros, or as most of us know, that's 100 quadrillion. Okay, 100 quadrillion, the chances that eight prophecies from the Old Testament would come true For Jesus, hundreds of years before, mathematicians say it would take one in in 100 quadrillion would be the odds. What does that look like? Well, let's say we took all the pews out of our church and we filled it up two feet deep with silver dollars, okay? Two feet deep of silver dollars. We took one silver dollar and put an X on it. We threw it into the mix and we had this big mixture that came and it spread them all out. Two, two feet thick, all right? Are you ready? Two feet thick, got all these silver dollars. One of them's got an X. We take one of our students, we'll blindfold you, stick you in the middle, and you can walk anywhere you want to. And then if you stick your hand somewhere down there and pick up the silver dollar, if you picked out the one with an X, do you think that would be incredible? Tell me. Think that'd be unbelievable? All right. Well, is that 100 quadrillion? Not even close. Take the same story. Take the same Two feet of silver dollars and put them over the state of Texas. It's not 10,000 square feet, it's 270,000 square miles. And put an X on one of those, take that same student, blindfold them, put them anywhere in Texas they want to be. They could be in Abilene, could be El Paso, could be Dallas, could be Houston. You pick it, we'll put you there. And then you walk around, and in those two feet, you reach down, pull one out, and if it's the X then you just beat the odds of one out of a hundred quadrillion. That's just eight prophecies. There's 61 on there. You see, it happened just the way that we have been told. Now, if you want to kind of blow your mind a little bit more, let's go even further back and let's go into the Garden of Eden. If you go to the Garden of Eden, uh, before God even had the conversation with Abraham, you got Adam and Eve, and God told them, you can do anything you want to in the garden, except you cannot eat of one tree. And guess what they did? They went and ate of the one tree. Adam and Eve, they ate of the one tree, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, then God had to lay out some punishment and some new ground rules. And look what he says in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. <coughs> He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And now, looking at Satan, who was as the serpent, he says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel, okay? What God is saying is that I'm getting ready to bring someone into the world who he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So what does it mean you'll strike his heel? Well, when Jesus was born... Lived a perfect life, then uh, people made false charges against him and they wanted to crucify him. They beat him, they put him on a cross, and they crucified him. And he died on the cross, they took down his body and they placed it in the tomb. You will strike his heel. It's like as the serpent, you will strike his heel. That's exactly what happened. And Jesus died, and Satan thought he he was victorious. But you see, what Jesus did was he already predicted this. He said, I am going to die, but three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And what we celebrate in Easter is that exact thing, is that what God did was three days later, he raised Jesus from the dead. And when he did, he conquered sin and he conquered death and he conquered Satan. And it says right here in 1 uh, in Corinthians, First Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's like being bit in the heel over there. Where is that sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us our victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. David, go back one slide. What did we say? He will crush your head. And He did he crushed Satan's head because Satan's trump cards were sin and death. Everybody's going to sin, then everyone's going to die. And what Jesus did was he came and he says, I'm going to trump both of us. I've already overcome. I lived a perfect life. I died. I took the penalty away from sin. I've conquered sin. I've conquered death. Person puts faith in me, Jesus, they will spend eternity in heaven. And so it was exactly the way he told us. It's exactly what God said in Genesis chapter three. Okay? Even the way before Abraham. He did exactly the way we were told. Wow. Now, let me go back to verse 11 in Luke chapter two. The angel announces that there is a savior who is Christ the Lord. There is a savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior. That means a helper, a deliverer. This baby that is born is a helper. It's a deliverer. And it says a savior who is Christ. That means the Messiah. That means the anointed one. And then he says the Lord. It is God himself. So when you watch and you see this baby that's wrapped up in swaddling clothes, laying in a feeding trough, he says, that is the Lord himself. And he said, this is what you will see when you get there. And guess what? It happened just the way they said it would. And he said, well, what is the purpose of that child? Why did that child do that? It says to reconcile us to God, to bring us back to God by providing for the forgiveness of our sins. You see, there's something we all have in common, and that is that we are all disconnected from God, and we're disconnected from God due to our sinfulness, and our sinfulness is the source of every single human problem on earth. I mean, on a personal level, it causes worry and fear, anxiety, confusion, depression, conflict, discouragement, and emptiness. And it causes us to act ways that create guilt and shame and resentment and regret. And you, know, you were not created to live that way. You were not created to live separated from a holy God. And when you do live that way, you feel spiritually empty. And what Jesus did is God sent him to come and to be our Savior, to be the Savior of the world. And he came to pay the penalty for those sins so that we could then be filled up with the Spirit of God and we could be connected to be God, connected with God. And so that way there's a oneness. We can walk with him and we can be with him and take away that emptiness that's in our life. And this is what Jesus came to do. And this is exactly what the shepherds were told. This is exactly what the prophets hundreds of years ago had told. So let me summarize it this way. It turned out exactly the way that we were told and it gave us three things. Number one, the particulars of Jesus's birth. It's exactly what they told. And in the Bible, they told us genealogy. They told us he'd be born of a virgin. They told us he would be born in Bethlehem. All the particulars of Jesus' birth is exactly the way that we were told. Number two is this. And that is the purpose of his coming, and that is salvation for all. The purpose of his coming is salvation for all. You know, it says we've got good news, great tidings of great joy for all the world you hear that? For all the world. So it means that there is joyful opportunity for everyone to come into a right relationship with God. It is the purpose of his coming is salvation for all. And last of all is the personal decision we each have to make and that is accept or reject the personal decision we each have to make. And that is to accept or reject. Now you can, you can kind of fly right into this Christmas season and you can be as passive as possible. And you can believe these two things. You can believe the particulars of Jesus' birth, and you can believe the purpose of his coming is salvation for all, and you can just kind of let Christmas go by. But you really can't. And the reason you can't is because of number three. And that is the personal decision. And the personal decision that we each have to make is that we either accept this or reject it. Now look what it says in, in uh, John 3. John 3. In John three sixteen, it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the good news. That's what I've been telling you. We receive Christ, we have eternal life. But here's where the passivity is taken out. And that's verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. We start out condemned because our sin separates us from God. God provides us a gift through his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, if you accept that gift, then you are no longer condemned. And you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. But you have to make that decision. It is a personal decision. And just as in Luke chapter 2, it said, That the angels were calling the shepherds and saying, you need to go see the child. It's the exact same thing that's happening in this service right now. And that is that God is calling you. And he's calling you to come and to enter into a relationship with him. He desires to adopt you into his family. And when you receive that, you make that decision, you receive God's spirit into your heart. And you receive a life, you receive purpose, and you receive meaning. And he will take your heart of stone and turn it to a heart of service and of love. And then once you receive that gift, it says that his spirit, God's spirit, comes inside your heart. And when God's spirit comes in your heart, you're not going to believe what you've got access to. You have got access to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there will be tough times. There'll even be some times of suffering and persecution. But there will be this undergirding power of God that will guide you and strengthen you through these times. And that when you die, you will have eternal life. You say, well, Danny, how can you make these claims and these promises that all of that is available? It's because that's what God's word says. And you know what? Everything the Bible said about Jesus Came true. And everything that God says in His Word comes true. And so, since everything in His Word comes true, everything I have just shared with you is straight out of His Word and in the promises that God has made. And we can trust Him because everything He told us is true. And so, at this Christmas season, when you're thinking there, thinking about COVID and 2020 and this year and everybody is just counting the days to push this, this year and get it out of the way and we don't even want to think back on, on 2020, you could be kind of the outlier. And what I mean by that is this could be the year that you really stop and think about your walk with God and about what your life is really all about. Is this just it? I mean, I mean, we just come, we we get created, we live, we do the best we can, we die and we go into nothingness. That's it? Or or do we try to look into what God's word, the exact same word that predicted thousands of years, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, everything about him over here. Do I look in this book and say maybe there's some truth to that? And when I do that, I realize that I was created for a purpose. I'm just not some random accident. It says, God knit me together in my mother's womb. And so God has a purpose. He's got a plan. He's got meaning for my life. There's something more. And I know that I've sinned. And because of that, I'm separated from him. And I would so much like to have that emptiness filled up. And yet, it's presented to you right here as a gift for you to receive and say, I want to receive Christ into my heart. I want to accept that gift. And then everything that comes with that, not only purpose and meaning here, but also eternal life. And that could be your decision of 2020. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great sitting around 10 years from now, talking to people, and everybody's telling their 2020 war stories, how terrible it was, and on all the bad stuff? And you could just chime in and say, man, there were some tough things. But let me tell you what happened in my life. I was radically changed for eternity, and I'll never be the same. And it all happened In 2020, this is your year. This is the time that God has called you. Maybe this is when God has gotten your attention. If you're cruising through life and you think that you're gonna make it till late late in life and then uh, maybe a couple days before you die, you'll just make sure you get everything right with God. One thing COVID has told us, you could be here today and gone tomorrow. And uh, it doesn't play favorites. And it's not just a fear tactic It's just you read it every day. And it's a reminder of our life is fragile and our life is short. And so what I want to do is I want to be able to live that life to where it has purpose and meaning. And the only way that will happen is for me to get connected to the one that created me. And once I get that connection, then I am walking with him. And I've got that strength to undergird me And I make it through this life. And when it's all said and done, I know that I have done what my creator has wanted me to do. And when I take that last breath here on earth, I take my first breath in heaven. And I'm living with him for eternity, bringing honor and glory to his name. Experiencing things that are beyond any of our imagination. But it all comes down to a personal decision. You accept or you reject It's my hope and prayer that you will remember everything he has told you has come true. He loves you. He wants you to be a child of his, and he wants you to accept that gift of receiving Christ as your Savior. Let me ask you to bow your heads close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you loved us so much and that while we were yet sinners, You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come, to show us who you were, to teach, to give us words of life that we could hold on to, but even most important, to sacrifice his own life for our sins. Father, he was not guilty. There was no wrong, there was no malice in him. And yet he looked at me, he looked at all those that come before me and after me who are sinners, who have rejected you. And he said, but because I love you, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to pay your penalty so you can come back into a right relationship with the Father. And I thank you for that. It's my prayer today that each one of us takes an introspective look at our life and say, have I ever made that decision? And made today, 2020, Be the time when we make that decision. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.